It's time for the Talent Talk Radio Show, brought to you by People G2, a nationwide leader in background checks and employment screening solutions. People G2 gives their clients access to the best human capital management and due diligence tools available. They are dedicated to helping their clients with all of their people-related decisions. To learn more, go to www.peopleg2.com. Talent Talk centers on the topics of talent recruitment and management, leadership development, company culture, and employee engagement. These are all timely topics for CEOs, entrepreneurs, HR professionals, and business leaders. We hope that as you tune in to listen each week, whether to the live broadcast or to the podcast on iTunes or iHeartRadio, that you hear something you can take away that will help you grow and impact your career in a positive way. And now, here's the host of the Talent Talk Radio Show, the founder and CEO of People G2, Chris Dyer. Good afternoon and welcome to Talent Talk. It's Tuesday and I'm live here uh, with one of my favorite guests. I'm glad to have her back on the show and we're going to get to her in just a second. But in case this is the first time you're tuning into Talent Talk, maybe haven't been around in a while, thank you for coming back. Thank you for tuning in. And just kind of give you a little understanding of what this show is and why, why I do a show. Why do I do a podcast? Why do I have a radio show? And it's really because I love having really in-depth personal conversations with people who I think are really smart, who have something to offer, who maybe whose brain I want to pick, or I want to understand what they're thinking about, what they're reading, what they're worried about. And I, you know, used to do this a lot at conferences. And then I thought, well, there's got to be a better way to do this. And so we created this show and brought people on and then allowed everybody else who cares to listen in can listen in the conversation. And I'm not the only one that gets to hear their incredible wisdom. And of course, when COVID happened, this made it even more important for us to find ways to connect with really smart people and hopefully get inspired and to learn and to maybe challenge a belief or to maybe change a bad habit or whatever it may be, we can learn from somebody. That's what's important here on this show. And that's why we call it Talent Talk, because it's the two words, right? How do we deal with our talent uh, in the most effective way going forward? And what can we learn from really talented people? So many of the stories that we got early on in the show went into my first book, The Power of Company Culture, was a part of the research that delivered in that book. And then we've had so many amazing stories just in the last year. Or so I put a lot of that in the new book, Remote Work, uh, which is coming out here at the end of May. I think Jill got a sneak peek of that. Well, maybe she can bring that up at some point. But uh, love to have you check that out. It's available for pre-order on Amazon or wherever you buy your books. Um, but Talent Talk is live every Tuesday, 1 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. You can get us on iTunes, on iHeart, on Stitcher, on Spotify, wherever you find your podcasts, it's there. But you can also interact with us on Twitter right now or even a little after the fact if you're coming in late. Uh, at PeopleG2, you can use the hashtag Talent Talk. Uh, my social media coordinator, Angela, actually feeds me any questions that come in from Twitter. She throws in all the smart things that we say on Twitter amidst anything dumb we might have said and puts all of the incredible links to authors and books or anything else that maybe you wish you would have written down if you were listening while you're driving in the car. But let's go ahead and uh, talk about who's on the show. My very special guest today, we'll have just one guest, Jill Christensen, author of one of the most in-demand and top-rated female speakers in the world today. She's named a top 200 global thought leader to watch in 2021 and a top uh, 101 global employee engagement influencer. Uh, She takes audiences on a journey that educates and inspires people to act. And I'm always trying to keep up with her. 
So Jill, welcome to the show today. Thank you so much, Chris. I'm so excited to be here. So how have you been? How are things going? I'm with, this is always a question we've sort of started with over the last, uh, you know, since COVID started. It's like, how are you doing? How are, how are things holding up for you? Honestly, I am doing very well. Um, I have maintained my composure and my <laughs> good attitude and my energy throughout COVID by taking short trips by myself. I've done about five of them this year where I just go off into some place alone and it has been my saving grace. So I am well, thank you. Well, that's great. That's great to hear. And I've, I've, I've been on the island struggling like, well, I guess I'll just stay home a little longer, but uh, why don't you tell everyone a little bit more about you, the work that you do, uh, what's important for, you know, for the audience to know for, to kind of frame our conversation today. Sure. So I spent the first 22 years of my career working in the New York City area in the telecommunications industry. And, um, you know, I worked in several different companies and many of them, I believed, were dysfunctional. And so there came a point where I thought there's just got to be a kinder, gentler way to live. So I moved to Denver, Colorado and launched my own consulting firm. And then, Chris, I started working in a bunch of different industries. So I picked up customers in oil and gas and retail and mining and financial services. And what I learned at that moment is that it wasn't just the telecommunications industry that was dysfunctional. Dysfunction is in all industries. And Chris, I honestly didn't know that. I had only worked in telecom, right? Right. So I thought, okay, only this industry has problems. And so after consulting for six years, I woke up one day and I thought to myself, you know, all of these organizations um, have similar problems many employees are disengaged. The vast majority of people who I work with are unhappy and aren't excited to go to work every day. And I really thought that, you know, we've got to fix this. Somebody needs to wrap their arms around this and put solutions into the marketplace because employee engagement is not rocket science. I think you bring up a great point about the sort of the dysfunction. I mean, it still surprises me today when I did my first book, I was really looking for what are the best companies doing? What were the things that they were always consistently doing really well? And there was some great stories there. There was some clear, you know, I called them my pillars, but clear pillars of what great companies were doing. But yet what I found was, is that doing it great, being great at culture and engagement, and all of that was the exception. It, it was the diamond in the rough, the hay in the, in the, in, uh, the needle in the haystack. It wasn't the, you know, the general thing. And that you know, companies that should be engaging people like you and I to come in and help them were the ones doing it wrong, totally not wanting to any help, uh, avoiding even the question, right? How do we how do we get better at that? How do we pierce through that? Does that, does that have to come from the employees? Does it have to come from society? Is that just, I don't know, is it human nature and it's not going to get that much better? What do you What do you think about that? I mean, honestly, I think it's starting to shift. Um, I can see it starting to shift. And I'll tell you why in a moment, but I honestly don't believe it's going to come from employees. I don't believe that culture change is a ground up thing. Do I believe employees need to engage in an organization's employee engagement journey? Absolutely. But I believe that culture starts at the top, right? So the definition of culture is how we do things here. There are the the group of people who define how we do things here are your senior leaders and your frontline managers. They are the people that employees are looking to, to role model values, role model behaviors. And so 
I believe in the organizations that get this right. They're on an employee engagement journey and somebody, if not several leaders from the senior leadership team are championing that journey. I didn't say that they're doing the work, but right. they have the confidence and courage to stand up and say, our culture isn't where it needs to be, but together we can fix this. We're going to embark on a journey that's going to include all of our frontline managers and all of you employees, right? We define our culture. Together, we can right the ship, right? So I really do believe it's a message that needs to come from the top. And I, I totally agree with you. And and one, I've been sort of been telling the story lately in a lot of my keynotes so people can understand not only the importance of like curating meetings and, and creating the right space, but that how the senior leader or leaders needs to really create the right environment, right? But it doesn't have to be the person, as you just said, to do all these things. For years, my wife and I would have a summer party and we would invite, you know, 60, 70 people that we knew. You know, she's a teacher. She knows all these different people. I know these different people. Hey, come by, have a swim party, come in and just open house anytime. 70 people at RSVP, 40 might show up, right? Which is still a decent party. We had a good time. We liked it. Well, about four or five years ago, we went to Europe and we went around Germany and Austria and, and the Czech Republic. And we went to a beer garden like every day. We loved the beer garden experience. And we said, you know what? Let's change our summer party to a beer garden party. And I go, but people don't know what that is. So I'm going to give them all the rules and I'm going to explain it to them. And I'm going to be really strict about what this party <laughs> is. You better dress up or you better wear German colors we're only drinking Bavarian beer. I will throw your Coors Light out on the street. We're only going to have Bavarian food. Kids are allowed during the day. At night, there's no kids allowed in case it gets turns into a, you know, different kind of a party. I mean, so strict. And yet, I was so worried no one was going to come. Well, the last one we had pre-COVID, we had 150 people show up, right? And it still amazes me that here I am being the dictator of this party. I'm creating all this structure and all these rules and more people show up. Do you want to know why that is, in my opinion? Go ahead. Because people like structure. People like a roadmap. And people yeah. are looking for leaders to put that roadmap in place and then give them a runway to soar, right? Yeah. So if you think about it, Chris, you know, I know these are generalizations, but, you know, I've been in the business world more than 33 years I believe these are true. Basically, 10% of people are high performers. 10% of people, you know, they've checked out of life. They are either in jail or they are substance dependent. Like, like they're just not even in the mix of work. Then you've got 80% of people, you know, who work and they show up every day and they do a decent job, right? They really mm -hmm. do. We need these people. They come through for you. But they're not necessarily your leaders, they're not necessarily the people who are being proactive. They really do want to be given a roadmap and they really do want to follow direction. They don't want to be micromanaged, right. but they want to know where are we going? What is our purpose? What is our mission? What is my role in helping us get to there? And to the extent that senior leaders can stand up and provide that for employees, trust builds between employees and leaders and, and employee engagement grows. Yeah. I mean, in my silly beer garden example, yeah. I didn't go around and micromanage anyone. I didn't tell them how to have a good time. I just 
here's your food and people brought beer or whatever they wanted to drink. And like, they were literally enforcing my own rules for me. Someone would walk in not dressed up and people would get mad at them and they would go get them a funny hat or something. Cause, Oh, you didn't fall. Like they were enforcing it for me. And I'm just exactly. laughing. I'm laughing. Cause to your point, they knew the rules. Mm-hmm. They, I actually eliminated anxiety from them because they don't have to worry about what am I supposed to do? When am I supposed to show up? What am I supposed to wear? Right? I, I've given them a complete roadmap on how to have a great time, how to be successful. And I look at organizations and then we don't onboard them very well and we don't train them very well and we don't tell them what, it's just like a big secret to know how what the rules are around here or how you're supposed to get things done. You spend two weeks or two months trying to figure that out. That's frustrating. You know, I-, I agree. And you know what we, you know, in our space, we talk a lot about why are so many organizations still not getting it right? And I think the answer to that question is that in the absence of knowing a different way to solve a problem, you're just going to keep doing what you've always done. Right. And what do organizations do? What have they always done? Oh, we're going to outsource culture change to HR. They can fix it. They're the people organization. They can fix anything. Right. You've got a lot of senior leaders who still look at this as a soft issue, a people issue. And, um, you know, s- some senior leaders didn't didn't learn this in school, in business school. Right. right. So and they think, well, I've got an organization to handle that. And they forget that at the end of the day, all an organization is, is a bunch of people. And so your results rest and lie on the shoulders of the people who you have employed there and whether or not they're going to come to work and give you the shirt off their back or give you scraps. And employees tell us the culture in which I'm being asked to do my job has a major bearing on the choice that I make, right? I think what you and I do is so important because we evangelize about a different way. You know, I say this is not HR's responsibility, right? It's HR's responsibility, in my opinion, to act as a conductor in an orchestra to get the senior leaders engaged, to get the frontline managers engaged, and then to share the areas where you're going to focus. And these areas are very specific because we know the levers that drive employee engagement. People tell us, I want a two-way communication culture. I need more personal development and training. I need to be recognized, right? I want, need to feel connected to something bigger than myself. We know what employees need. So it's about organizations being open to a different solution. But if they have not been exposed to that, they're just going to continue to do what they've always done and get the crappy results that they've always gotten. And I think that's what we see. Yeah, it's so true that there's clear evidence of what they want. And I could add even there, flexible work. Um, you know, some we, we've seen right now that uh, even people who aren't traditionally remote that are being remote temporarily, if they have like kids at home or they're a multi-generational family, like they need a lot of flexibility. They need a lot of understanding, right? Whereas someone who's living by themselves or one other person, they're like overworking and they're bored and like they're totally different needs from an employee standpoint, right? And so being really, I guess, sort of attuned to what what is it we're hearing Right. I guess just giving them that voice. Um, I was going to ask you, you know, what, what, what do you think people are actually getting right? And I will say I've been starting to crack this 
barrier. I was telling people, stop doing the annual survey. You should be doing a weekly survey. Do one mm -hmm. question. You should be getting lots of information over a long period of time, not a, a lot of information at one time. You know, like we wouldn't ask our clients one time a year, how are we doing? <laughs> exactly. And, then, and you, know, you know, Chris, I think that is something that organizations are getting right. I think they're starting to understand the annual performance management conversation doesn't cut it. Right. The annual employee engagement survey doesn't cut it. Organizations that are succeeding have their finger on the pulse of the employee body, right? They understand their needs and they put in place um, programs, initiatives, and strategies that meet or exceed those needs. And so, you know, to your point, I say to my clients, you know, even if you don't currently have an employee engagement survey in your organization, you could ask your employees one question every single week or every other week or every month, each their employee engagement level. And it's this, I would recommend my company as a great place to work because if people say yes, for the most part, they're engaged. People who say no are disengaged. People who say, I'm not sure. They're on the fence. They're straddling. One day they're engaged. One day they're disengaged. But I'd rather have a person on the fence than no, because it's easier to move a person on the fence into the yes bucket than it is to take a completely disengaged employee and turn them around and have them be a champion for your organization. Yeah. And some of the things that people can consider doing, I mean, we ask things like, what's your biggest obstacle right now? Uh, who in the organization has really been helping you? I mean, how am I as the CEO getting in your way? You know, uh, what Love other, it. you know, what other services or what other clients should we be considering? What are we not seeing, right? These sort of, or if you had a magic wand, what would you change about your job? I mean, there's so many great questions mm -hmm. out there. And if you don't know, just Google it. There's a, a thousand of them and you get incredible responses back. Now, I will say one caveat. I do sometimes say, whatever you send me, I'm not going to share with anyone. I might share the, you, in general what you said, but I'm not going to share your specific answer to anybody. I, I know I may summarize what I heard back to the senior team or something. And then some questions I say, whatever you send me, I'm sharing with everybody. So they can put it out there and everyone gets a full understanding of what everyone answered because that's important, right? Get that transparency. Sometimes we need to be protective and really intimate mm -hmm. in the response. And sometimes we need to like share everything and let everyone see what's working or what's great or what ideas people have. Absolutely. Um, yeah. And I think organizations, so I think they're getting better at understanding that the annual fill in the blank isn't really good for anything. And they're also, I believe, really starting to understand the importance of creating that two-way communication culture, right? So the one-way communication culture is where content is just pushed out from the organization or managers and leaders to employees. The two-way communication culture is where um, information is pushed out, but also then employees are um, able to engage in a dialogue with managers and leaders about whatever it was was communicated. And then let's take it to even the nth degree, right, where organizations are actually conducting focus groups and getting input from employees prior to making important decisions that impact employees. Yeah. That's like the holy grail. Right. And so I'm really starting to see organizations that get it. In all honesty, we may owe that to the millennials. So, you know, right now in America, 50% of the US workers are millennials by the end and Gen Z's. And by the end, of that number will be at 75%. Well, Chris, these people were born with a smartphone in their hand coming out of their mother's womb. Like, seriously, <laughs> right? They love to communicate. 
and they love to be bombarded with communications. Now, it might not be face-to-face, right? right? But it's text and Twitter and Facebook. And I mean, they are so highly engaged communicating 24-7, right? And so then they go into an organization and they hear from the CEO once a year or nobody asks for their opinion or their manager doesn't have you know regular staff meetings or one-on-ones or conducts an annual performance management conversation. It's just not cutting it. And the beauty about millennials is that they speak up. So rather than than sweeping their feelings beneath the rug, I think they're being vocal in organizations and letting managers and leaders know what they need. And, um, you know, pre-COVID, we were in a tight labor market, right? Unemployment was the lowest it's ever been. Um, And, you know, organizations are saying left and right, extraordinary workers are hard to find. So Mm -hmm. we've got a shortage of high-performing talent in the world. And organizations are starting to listen and understand the need um, for communication and to engage in dialogues. And I see them doing that more and more, and I give them a lot of credit for that. Yeah, and the other thing that I'm hoping organizations might pick up on eventually, and this is only something I've seen with some of the best of the best, but mm-hmm. you know, it's let senior leadership sets the rules. Like I sort of give the example of setting the party rules, right? You create the structure of that. But I've seen some of the best companies actually allow people to raise their hand and say, I would like to be on a cult, the culture committee or the culture you know, group for, it's like a one-year or a two-year term. And they cycle through the organization where you have people from every part of the organization. This is not a hierarchy. This is not, you have to be at least a manager to be on. You have anyone in the organization, incredible mix. And it's actually their job to figure out how to improve the culture, how to implement the strategies to give that feedback, like you mentioned about if senior leaders say, well, we're not going to sell widget, this widget anymore. We're going to sell that widget. And they can actually say, well, this is how this is going to impact our, our employee base and things like that. Do you think that's the right kind of thing that most companies should think about doing to kind of have that bottom up, I guess, implementation, or is there another way to think about doing that? I think the bottom up implementation works as long as you have the top down direction. I do not think um, a grassroots culture initiative or a culture committee can change a culture. I've worked in so many organizations where that's how it worked. And also, Chris, to your point, when I was in corporate America, they didn't ask for volunteers. They handpicked the people to be on the culture committee. And that's well, the what, if that, what if that person isn't passionate about culture change? Mm-hmm. What if that person doesn't like to speak up? What if that person doesn't have good ideas? You know, to your point, I believe that if you approach this top down and bottom up, yes, that's probably the most effective way for it to happen. But again, you've always, you've got to have that direction, but you also have to be giving people a runway because people have such amazing ideas. They're in the trenches closest to the customer. You know, I say to organizations, they have ideas for your products and services. They know what processes suck and need to be reinvented. They know what's working and should be recreated throughout your organization. They know how to reduce expenses without cutting headcount. Employees are a plethora of information, but Mm -hmm. they're not going to tee that content up because for the most part, people don't feel safe to say. They don't speak up. You've got to give them those opportunities and those avenues to have a voice. And employees tell us, when I have a voice at work and I know my voice is being heard, 
I trust leaders and managers and it causes me to engage. And so it really is a win-win when to your point, you've got those two things really coming together to create this thing that is how we do things here. It's so important that if you're going to implement what Jill's talking about, I think there's two things that you really have to do. One, you have to make sure you're being transparent enough that people have the information you have. It's You want them to feel safe to speak up, but if they only know a quarter of what you know, they're going to be hesitant because they're going to be, well, I, I'm going to give you this idea, but I don't really have all the data. I don't know all the things we've done. Right? You need to be transparent to the point of just almost obsessively transparent so that people can come up with great ideas and share their ideas and they feel like they're going on the right on the right spot. But number two, you got to practice this a little bit. I mean, no one goes to go swing a club on the golf course without having tried to hit a ball first over in the practice area, right? No one goes to shoot the basketball without practicing in your backyard or at the city, you know, court a couple of times. Yet at work, we're like, well, okay, you're hired. Now we're going to put you in a full match. You're now in it and we want you to go score 20 points and be amazing. And it's like, uh, I think we need to practice first, right? Exactly. And it's a huge miss, you know. So we have a meeting every month with all of our teams, our infinite teams. They actually practice disagreeing. They practice have a prompt and they practice creating that psychological safety so that they can, when a real issue shows up, it's not, but that's not what they're worried about anymore. Now they're worried about really trying to solve the problem. So are there other ways you think people should be thinking about like practicing or preparing people to be more ready, you know, to actually, you know, play the game inside of the business? Um, I think one of the most important things is for leaders and HR to really position this as a journey and as a strategy, mm-hmm. right? So one of the big mistakes that I think organizations make is they call employee engagement a program or an initiative, and then your program, your people are going to think it's the program du jour here today, gone tomorrow. They're not going to think that you're serious about it. Right. I think you don't have to quote unquote, throw people into it. If you set it up as a journey, right? Because we all know a journey is you're going to take some steps forward. Then you might take some steps sideways and then you might take a couple of steps back. But as long as you're always making progress, that is what we're looking for. And as long as we always know what we're working toward, what we want that culture to be, what that North Star looks like, right? As long as we're always moving toward that, then we're succeeding. And if we realize we're not doing something right, that culturally, it's okay to course correct, right? It's nobody's mistake. We're on a journey, right? Sometimes when you're in your car, you make a wrong turn, right? So what do you do? You get the map back out and you get back on course. And, you know, I think in businesses, we need to have this resilience, have this flexibility, have this grace, if you will. It's not a program where three months from now, we're going to see this happen and then it's done, right? It's a journey. And so to the extent that um, whoever in an organization is championing the journey, tease it up that way, I think that people find it more appealing I think it becomes something that people want to be involved in. I think it doesn't have this stigma of this, oh my gosh, we've got to get results like, you know, this quarter, which most organizations go through anyway, because they only think quarter to quarter. They're thinking about the street and the analysts and what their numbers are and meeting them. So I think when organizations position this differently, it sort of takes the, it takes the edge off, if you will. Yeah. 
And, and I love that reminder about it's sort of a journey and to, and to build. And, you know, so many times I think there's a misalignment, either the employee thinks they have to be perfect or they have to, you know, do this giant leap in abilities or the manager is misaligned and thinks that, that this person has to be able to, to be at the certain spot in, the, in time and not work their way into it. Um, you know, we, we've used this concept for years called, can, can you do something part-time? Can you be a part-time leader? Can you be a part-time chair master? Can you be a part-time mentor? I don't need you to be a leader the whole time or a mentor the whole time. I, you know, that is overwhelming to you, but could you just do it a little bit? Could you be like a part-time, per, you know? And I always get people go, oh, I can do that. I can, you know, I could do an hour a week of that. Exactly. Right. And it, it just shifts the mindset, right? And now they're doing it all the time. Like, but now you've taken the pressure off of, you know, I'm not asking you to go manage a group team of 20. I'm asking, could you maybe run a little group over here? Could you, do, you know, do a little bit of that? And you get that practice. Exactly. You get that, that, that sort of, you know, over time you can see, oh, geez, they can do it. And they know they can do it. Exactly. But you don't have to tee it up as practice, right? That is what it is, right? But they don't right. know that. Right. They feel like they're executing and doing their best and adding value, which is fantastic because that's how you want people to feel. Yeah, absolutely. Well, what's what do you think is in the future of employee engagement? Do you, is there is there something big coming or good or so, bad that we should be thinking about? Well, it's fascinating to me because, you know, in the past. You know, do I have some companies coming and knocking on my door and saying we need to fix our culture? We care about employee engagement. Absolutely but I've never had as many organizations knocking on my door as I have in the past year. So Chris, what I think has happened is this remote work experiment really taught senior leaders and managers lessons that I don't think they would have believed beforehand, right? Yeah. We had yeah. tons of senior leaders who did not want employees to telecommute, lots of employees who were disengaged because of it, because leaders thought that people can't be productive unless they're working in an office setting and unless they can see them being productive. Mm -hmm. Now that leaders and managers can't physically see their employees working, they're concerned, right? Are they being productive? Are they working? Are they engaged? And so they're now thinking about, well, Jill, how do I track this? Jill, how do I gauge this? How do I make sure they stay on track? Because they can even see how disconnected or disengaged they feel. So they're starting to realize, wow, my employees might be in that same bucket as well. So it's fascinating to me, Chris, when employees were co-located in physical work locations, senior leaders and managers didn't really focus on employee engagement because they thought, well, they're showing up, they're coming through the door, I can see them working, so they've got to be engaged, right? That's what they all thought. Now that they can't see them, employee engagement is front and center. I believe that one of the positive impacts of COVID is that it showed senior leaders that people can be productive at home that remote work and telecommuting does work and that to the extent that you can understand your employees needs by conducting a, a return to work or a back to work survey, right. Versus dictating, this is how the future of our workplace will be going forward. You will be in a much better place because like you said earlier, there are some people who would prefer to work from home forever. There are some people who want to be in the office as much as possible. And to the extent that we allow people to volunteer into those different categories versus assigning right. them, it will go a long way to increase employee engagement and employee productivity. 
So I believe our world of work will never look like what it did. I believe it's going hybrid. And I believe the smartest organizations, again, are going to partner with their employees to determine their needs versus going into a conference room and deciding what the future of any organization's workplace looks like. Because we have just proven out um, one of the greatest social experiments in the history of work. Telecommuting works. So senior leaders can no longer say it doesn't work. And if you're not in my, you know, if I can't see you working, then you're not working or you're not as productive because we know that people are. And it's, you know, for years, I was always trying to get uh, conferences to, you know, talk about remote work in a much larger stage. And they would have me do a a keynote about culture. And they would say, if you want to stick around tomorrow, we'll put you in Salon Z and (laughs) you can go talk about remote work. And I would do it. But you know, it was like, it wasn't believed. And I'm telling them, hey, I went remote. That fixed so many of our problems. Engagement went up, culture went up because we had to really focus on those things. And I've learned over the years that, you know, if you go remote and you have a bad culture, you really struggle. And if you have a good culture, you actually do better. And that was sort of our uh, thing. But I think there's a lot of leaders that have realized that they may not be able to see, they may not get those people back all the time. And they're Mm -hmm. old way of managing was, if I can see you, you must be working. If I can hear the papers rustling, (laughs) but if you show up to a lot of meetings, you must be productive. And that's all crap. That is not productivity. That is not a good way to measure people. That's how people that don't don't deserve promotions get promoted and how people who are doing all the hard work get left behind when we use our eyes only, right? Not real data, not real KPIs, not real measurement. You know, right. and, they're the first people in and the last one to leave, right? They must be adding the most value. Not necessarily. Nope. <laughs> nope. nope. Yeah. I used to be able to run circles around people with productivity. I could get so much more done in less time. And then yet you're, you're right. Someone would say to me, but you're here less hours. <laughs> so I'm efficient. I'm strategic. <laughs> I have excellent judgment. Right. I surround myself with smart people. I get right. it. <laughs> <laughs> well, We'll see what the what the future of work is like. At least I think there's going to be a lot more remote work, and I'm excited about that. Yeah. I think for so many people, that solves problems for them. I think for so many organizations, it solves problems for them. I mean, uh, being able to hire someone anywhere in the country or anywhere in the world, right, gives your organization uh, different talent strategies, right? You can remove location bias. I don't have to have a chief marketing officer in LA and pay an extra $100,000 for a zip code. Exactly. You know, that kind of, kind of stuff is in, is insane. And, you know, Um, I just spoke, um, I just did a remote worker keynote, and that was one of my main points is, you know, I think right now it would be really easy for organizations to rest on their laurels and think, you know, we're in the middle of a pandemic. Uh, We've got industries that are being, that have been decimated and that are trying to scrape their way back, claw their way back. So, you know, my employees, they're all going to be on their best behavior. They're, you know, they're afraid of getting laid off. They're afraid of getting terminated. They're going to go above and beyond the call of duty, regardless of what our culture is like, because they don't want to lose their job. And I can tell you, Chris, that could not be further from the truth. We have organizations that are hiring hundreds of thousands, tens of thousands of employees. And I don't mean a handful. I mean a lot. There are help wanted signs anywhere. And to your point, an employee no longer needs to look for a job within a 30 or 60 mile radius of their home. There Mm -hmm. are extraordinary organizations with great cultures like Google, like Salesforce that have said work from home forever. We're fine with that. Right? So those employees can basically um, be hired from anywhere in the world. Right? So it is an employee's job market. 
And so to the extent that you don't have an extraordinary workplace culture, you are just going to be pushing those employees toward the door. And we know from all of the data, it is typically not your low performers who leave. It's your high performers because they know their worth, they know their value, and they have self-confidence. Yeah. And if they don't like where they are, they know they can get hired elsewhere in the drop of a hat. Yeah, and this may be the real reason that remote work stays beyond all of its benefits. It's that if their A players are going to go and only the B and C players will stick around, they're going to have to offer it, right? Even if they're just forced to just because the A players understand now. And as kids go back to school, mm-hmm. I think this is the next wave. People have been working from home. And even though it's great, they've had their kids running around. As soon as you get rid of your kids running around and you have like deep time to sit and think and get your work done, how much busy, how much more strategic you're going to be, how much more you're going to get done. Employees are going to go, whoa, I can be here without being interrupted 900 times a day. Like, oh, this is amazing. And that was the that was the, the epiphany we all had. Um, mm-hmm. Obviously, this is the hardest remote work I've ever been through with everybody home um, before I never had that. So anyways, I know I, you've been you've been keynoting all day. I want to make sure we're, <laughs> we're uh, cognizant of the time with you today. Two quick questions. First is, is there a book that you are uh, reading or that maybe you've been suggesting to people recently that you might uh, suggest for the audience? Well, honestly, I'm reading a book about how to manifest money. All right. (laughs) So, and again, I should, there's a caveat. I know that money does not buy happiness, but money buys experiences, right? So money buys the ability to travel, to um, go to certain specialty courses or trainings, right? So um, it's important to me that my business success translate into money also because um, at some point I'd love to have a foundation for animals. And so, um, you know, I care a lot about that piece of my success um, because it will not only help me become a better individual and person and be able to give back more. That's really what's around that. I think anyone should read a book like that or, or or think about learning more about that because, you know, being, being comfortable asking for what you're worth, whether that's if you're a consultant mm-hmm. or a speaker, or you're just, if you're an employee who's going and negotiating their next job. And right. It's, we feel, we don't learn that skill at negotiation and that someone says, well, this is what the job is worth. Most people say, well, okay. I either say yes, or I say no, when I go find another one, other people say, that's not the salary I'm looking for. Are you willing to go up? I mean, they start to go, you know, that's the rare breed of employee. And you may find this shocking. That's actually the one employers want. The one who's willing to negotiate and make the company work for it. They know they're going to go do the same thing now for them inside their business. Exactly. To your point, I think, you know, it talks about this in the book, you know, many times, you know, we're our own worst enemy, right? Because we mm-hmm. put limits on ourselves and what we think we're worth. Um, and the truth of the matter is, regardless of what the economy is doing on any given day, millionaires are created every single day, right? Yep. And so um, if anyone listening has a vision to have more money for whatever reason that is, I would never judge that. You know, it, it's it's a mindset. You know, it yeah. doesn't necessarily mean you've got to work a ton harder, especially if you're already being incredibly strategic and you know your lane and you're an expert at what you do. A lot of um, a person's ability to manifest money comes down to what you think about money, how you, the thoughts that you were raised with as it relates to money. Um, A lot of people um, don't feel worthy. A lot of people think that they put a dollar amount on themselves that is incredibly low, you know, whereas we've got a universe that's abundant. Yeah. 
And there's always people out there with their hands out willing to take free. And if you're working for yourself, you have to avoid that. So exactly. (laughs) Well, how can people find out more about you, the work you do, or if they're interested in learning, you know, more about what you do or having you speak or any of that, what's the best way for them to find out more? Sure. So my, my website is Jill Christensen, I N T L, which stands for international dot com. Um, my book is called, if not you, who cracking the code to employee engagement. And so I really lay out a strategy that organizations can follow um, to embark on that employee engagement journey. And I'm in the process. I'm about to start writing my second book, Chris. So I'm thinking about what the topic is going to be, but I will have a second book out this year. Um, It will be around, definitely around remote work. Um, Now that we're further into this, I think we've got a lot of excellent lessons learned. Um, and like you said, the primary thing that I do is I keynote 50 to 60 times a year, just really evangelizing about the importance of embarking on an employee engagement journey, um, and strategically how to do that. Um, and it's simple, it's straightforward because as we said, culture is how we do things here. And so in order for you to change your culture, your managers and your leaders simply need to start doing things here differently tomorrow than they're doing here today. And you've got culture change. Well, Joe, it was an absolute pleasure having you back on the show. Thank you for all the work that you do, all the leadership you provide. 50 to 60 keynotes, that is a lot. I don't know. I did did 70 trainings last year because of Uh COVID and I almost died. So (laughs) I'm thinking like uh, this year has been, I've been pushing some of them away. Like I can't can't do that again, but uh, 50 to 60. And I know you're starting to get back on the road again. So that's quite amazing. Yeah, I absolutely love it. I feel most energized and excited when I'm on that stage, sharing my message with people and inspiring them to act in their organizations. Maybe you're like me. I love being in front of 5,000 people or like with one or two people, but you put me in front of 12 and I don't really know what to do. I'm like, it's awkward. No, 100%. I want to be one person (laughs) or an enormous audience. (laughs) All right. Well, thank you so much for being on the show today. Hopefully you've all learned something you can use in your own career in a positive way. Don't forget to go to talenttalkradio.com to see all the past shows and subscribe. Until next time, do what you love and show the world how talented you can be today. You've been listening to Talent Talk Radio brought to you by People G2.